I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. I'm Rob Wolf, and welcome to episode number 23 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded Mets in our beloved franchise's quirky history, as every player who dons the orange and blue is, in their own way, unformidable. The Mets are still faintly keeping hope alive in the wild card race as we speak, as the calendar turns to September. But I'm just going to dive right in and turn the calendar back because this is a player near and dear to my heart because I was very young when he came to the Mets and dive right into the story mostly pre-Mets and post-Mets the most interesting parts of one Ellis Clarence Valentine. Ellis Valentine was born July 30th, 1954 in Helena, Arkansas. Didn't know there was another Helena out there besides Montana, but apparently there is, and he moved to Los Angeles at the age of three years old, where Ellis Valentine played football and baseball at Crenshaw High School in Los Angeles. And yes, you astute, or probably not need to be that astute, you just need to be as old as I, or steeped in Mets history, Uh, you astute Mets fans will note that Crenshaw would play a much more notable role in Mets history when the Mets made Daryl Strawberry the number one overall pick out of that high school in 1980. And notable when Ellis was drafted, uh, he was drafted in the second round of the 1972 Major League Baseball draft, which was exactly one round before the Expos would draft a high school shortstop named Gary Carter in the third round. So a productive draft for the fledgling franchise there. McKidd and Ellis weren't the only notable prospects in the Expos farm system. It was pretty well lauded in the mid-70s, but Ellis Allentine was definitely recognized as one of the top prospects in that farm system. He hit .289 uh, with 27 home runs in 195 RBIs and over four seasons in the minors before finally earning a call-up to Montreal in September of 1975. Only got a cup of coffee late that season, but you know, at the young age of 21, Valentine made his Major League debut on September 3rd, 1975. He did go 0 for 3, but in his third game and his fifth Major League at bat, he hit his first Major League home run off the Pirates' Jim Rooker 
and you know went on in that short sample size to play semi-regularly through the end of September and post a 364 batting average. So the prospect was uh, made his mark also in the majors enough to that the shine was still on Ellis Valentine. Very interesting to note, I think, also that during that 1975 season, Carter beat his draft mate up to the majors and actually split time between right field and catcher during his rookie season. Uh, in 1975, Gary Carter hit 270 with 17 homers, 68 RBIs, and came in second to San Francisco Giants pitcher John Montefusco for the NL Rookie of the Year award. But in addition to being considered a future future hitting star, Ellis Valentine was known for having a rifle for an arm. It's probably the most notable. If you Google Ellis Valentine, about the second hit that will come up is Ellis Valentine arm. Uh, he was considered one of the you know one of the, one of the best outfield arms in defensive history and he and Andre Dawson and Warren Cromartie were touted as just the outfield of the future in the 70s so Gary Carter spent much of 1976 on the DL and Ellis Valentine came up and essentially replaced him in right field by 1977 the kid had moved behind the plate full time which probably worked out best for everyone it certainly worked out best for Gary Carter and his real Hall of Fame trajectory. Uh, definitely worked out best for the long run for the Expos and Elise neighbors down south in New York, who were eventually one veteran catching piece away from immortality in the mid-1980s. But it certainly looked like it worked out best for the Expos as well, as Valentine looked like he had the potential to be a perennial all-star, if not a future Hall of Famer himself, uh, as he got his career going in Montreal. 1977-78 were you know, peak Ellis Valentine as the young player looked like the star everyone thought he'd be. Um, in April, in 1977 was actually the Expo's first season in Olympic Stadium, and on April 15th, Valentine hit the first home run in Olympic Stadium history off of Steve Carlton in a game that I noticed when looking it up that uh, Dan Worthen, future Mets pitching coach, threw two innings for the Expos. I don't know how many sliders he threw, but uh, I think he gave up two runs in those two innings. So the, the Worthen slider didn't work as well for Dan Worthen, apparently. But uh, the 1977 season was an impressive, you know, first full major league season. I don't think he had rookie eligibility anymore, but he hit 293, <clears throat> slugged 504. Uh, oh, oh, on base percentage was 331. He was never, you know, by by modern metrics, uh, he, was, he was not definitely hurt Valentine. He was uh, not a bit of a free swinger. Never walked a lot, but you know, it's good for an 835 OPS and 125 OPS plus. At any rate, uh, 25 homers and 13 stolen bases in the 1977 season, his first and only All-Star appearance, some down-ballot MVP votes. Ellis Valentine clearly looked like a future MLB star. And if you don't believe me that he looked clearly like a future star, surely you'd believe Aaron Spelling and you'd believe beloved 1970s TV show Fantasy Island. Because in the 1977 offseason, Ellis Valentine appeared... In an episode called Superstar, Season 1, Episode 10 of Fantasy Island, along with Tommy Lasorda, Steve Garvey, Fred Lynn, George Brett, 
and Ken Brett. I assume Ken Brett just got on because his brother dragged him along, which is pretty much how he got everywhere as far as I know. And Ellis Valentine. And Ellis Valentine doubled off of the inexplicably pitching Ken Brett in an episode that uh, in which Gary Bergdorf of MASH fame uh, was had a fantasy to be a major league pitcher. So, I mean, if you're including Ellis Valentine there, you, you gotta believe he, he was going to be, everyone thought he was going to be a future star. And I think you can find the episode on YouTube, and I suggest you do. And mock me if you will, but we really only had three TV stations back then, and I did love me some Fantasy Island. One more non-baseball note, as I learned going down the IMDb rabbit hole, is that this episode with Ellis Valentine, Superstar, also featured Leslie Nielsen, who, by the way, was on three episodes of Fantasy Island as three completely different characters uh, in 1978, 79, and 80, so I found that highly entertaining as well. But I digress. Ellis Valentine put that burgeoning TV career on hold to continue playing good baseball. In 1978, he put up very eerily similar numbers, a 289 batting average, 330 on-base percentage, 489 slugging, 820 OPS, 129 OPS plus. Uh, the similar numbers came along with a gold glove to boot. He recorded 24 assists from right field that year. Uh, at the time, it was a major league record. I believe it's only been equaled. I, I don't believe it's been surpassed since then. Uh, so he had ample opportunity to show off that electric right arm. Valentine has solid 79 season at age 24, maybe a slight turn down in a, you know, maybe he only played in 146 games and he began to develop a reputation as someone who, who was quick to sit out games or perhaps was enjoying the Montreal nightlife a bit too much. But the you can really draw a career, a fault line in his career in the 1980s season uh, to an extent. And that was when a fateful event occurred on May 30th of 1980, when the Cardinals' Roy Thomas beamed Valentine in the face, fracturing his cheekbone in six different places. Valentine was unable to return to action until July 10th, missing 40 games. He returned right after the All-Star break. And there seems to be a great consensus that this really changed the courses of, of his career, and he became a bit gun-shy at the plate, understandably. Valentine himself clearly thinks he was the victim of a, an intentional beanball. He, he gave an interview with Jeff Perlman uh, years ago where he said, I believe to this day, Whitey Herzog wants to get on, he can tell the truth, but he wasn't really a fan of mine. He thought I was supplying his team with drugs when I wasn't. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. And, well, frankly, I'll just use any opportunity to throw some shade at Whitey Herzog because, well, because he's Whitey Herzog. Of course, the one one, one problem with uh, the, the meaning and the idea that it <clears throat> changed the course of his career, he was playing, he was having a great 1980 season, kind of a bounce back to form, hitting 297 with a 354 on-base percentage at the time of the beaning. Uh, from the, his return onward, he, you know, he actually hit even better. His batting line was 331, 380, 571 from July 10th onward. And the Expos actually lost out on the, the the last weekend of the series. They were playing three games against the Phillies with the division on the line. And 
lost and finished two games behind the Phillies, you know, you, you actually could look at his numbers, extrapolate it over a full season, and think he could have gotten some MVP support in 1980. Uh, in the 86 games, he, his numbers extrapolated out would be incredibly impressive. Uh, 13 homers, 67 RBIs in 86 games. However, uh, of those 86 games, didn't only include the games he missed from getting beaned. Valentine played very sparingly in September, uh, including missing the final 13 games of the season, uh, injuring his hand on a check swing. So he missed those deciding games against the Expos, and uh, that kind of sealed his fate in Montreal, it would seem. Uh, teammates and the organization seemed to blame him for, you know, or harbored ill will for his not being available for those games, thought it was not a you know, legitimate in- injury or an injury that should have kept him out. So Ellis Valentine was turning 26 heading into the 1981 season, and the future, the the all-star, the you know man with the Hall of Fame talent, actually had only four major league seasons and about 280 major league games left in his career. Sadly, the majority of which he would spend in New York with our beloved New York Mets. Valentine struggled early in 1981 with the Expos, and he was actually on the DL with a hamstring in- injury. On May 29th of 1981, when the Mets acquired him, because, you know, why would an injury ever stop the Mets from acquiring a player? Yeah, they can just play through him, even in 1981, I guess. But at any rate, uh, the Mets sent Dan Norman, and much more notably and regrettably, Jeff Reardon, to the Montreal Expos in order to acquire Ellis Valentine. I was a young lad in 1981, and I followed the Mets pretty closely then, even at my young age, and I kind of knew the other NL East teams a bit, you know, probably didn't know the vagaries of baseball and, you know, the whispers that Ellis Valentine might have a drug problem or that he didn't play hard or that he was frequently injured. All I knew is that my team acquired a badass who wore a what looked like a football helmet to the plate, which uh, is, you know, another, I think, lasting memory of Ellis Valentine that he kind of jury-rigged uh, a couple of metal spikes that uh, came out of his helmet that looked like half of a half of a football helmet, basically, to protect his jaw after the you know injury that he suffered uh, in 1980, uh, and that had that incredible arm and you know that was billed as this huge power threat, you know, that would go into our lineup. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ellis didn't get in many games in 1981 for the Mets, more because of the strike than anything, but he was a disappointment. Believe it or not, the Mets acquired a 
Well, this time it wasn't an aging star, so I'll give them that. But the Mets acquired a star, and he disappointed offensively. Uh, shocker, I know. But 48 games, uh, only five homers, 21 RBIs, and, you know, 0 for 3 in stolen bases, and perhaps more glaring, five walks against 38 strikeouts. So, you know, that lack of a batting eye really uh, coming into focus. And of course, in a more you know human side to it, even though uh, there are rumors Valentine had requested a trade in the <clears throat> off season before 1981, he you know came into the Expos organization at age 17, and I've seen interviews with him since where he you know kind of said it was like leaving family behind, and that he really grew up in that organization, and you know maybe never quite felt at place with the Mets, unfortunately. Valentine had another desultory 1982 season with the Mets, uh, only eight home runs and 48 RBIs and 111 games. Did hit 288, but with a 294 on-base percentage, only a 407 slugging percentage. So only 13 home runs as a Met in two years after hitting 95 in Montreal over... 638 games. I uh, did have a couple of memorable Met moments. He had a two-home run game uh, late in the season in, in Chicago in 1981 at Wrigley Field. Unfortunately, two of the only five home runs he hit that year as a Met. And he did uncork a couple of his glorious throws uh, with that throwing arm of his. As I said, if you Google Ellis Valentine, Ellis Valentine arm will be one of the first hits. And there is a video on YouTube, and that encapsulates uh, clips of some of the most memorable. Uh, for my money, uh, there's one where he nails Dave Concepcion at the plate in a very Ichiro-esque, or if you want to be Met-specific, Ioana uh, Cespedes-esque throw from deep in right field on the fly to the plate. Uh, just an un- unbelievable throw. Uh, this is when he was with the Expos, but in an interview in Montreal a few years ago before an Expos reunion, Valentine was asked what his most memorable throw was, and he actually cited one when he was with the Mets. This is also in the in the YouTube video where he pegged Pete Rose uh, on a single going first to third, and he noted how uh, Pete Rose was regarded as such an incredible base runner and, you know, rarely made mistakes, and I think he seemed to take special pride in the fact that Rose, you know, thought he clearly could make it in that case, but he didn't quite take into account the, or or let's say he just did not calculate correctly, even in all of that amazing Charlie Hustle baseball wisdom, didn't quite account for the specimen, for the unique thing that was Ellis Valentine's right field arm. There are a couple of other uh, Met throws on that video, one that I do remember vividly too, where Dale Murphy tried to score on a single, and he didn't even try to slide. I think he thought probably there wasn't even going to be a play at the plate, and Valentine nipped him at the plate with that arm. It was really incredible, and it's a fun video, and amazing thing to see, you know, the talent he had uh, in that regard. He really was the quintessential five-tool player, like Alex Ochoa before him, or as he was billed when he was in the minors. But Valentine would leave the Mets as a free agent after the 1982 season, spending one year in California with his hometown, then California Angels, 
Did not play in the majors in 84 due to injury. Did get in a few games with the Angels AAA affiliate and then tried to latch on with the Texas Rangers in 1985 and played his last 11 games, I believe, of his major league career as a Ranger in 1985 before retiring at the age of 30 after the 1985 season. Just such an interesting career, I think. Uh, For his career, Ellis Valentine recorded 17.1 war, 123 homers, uh, 278 batting average, only a 315 on base percentage, uh, 458 slugging, 773 OPS, 113 OPS plus. In his two seasons with the Mets, Valentine played in 159 games, so basically the equivalent of one season. Had a 261 batting average, 272 on base percentage, 389 slugging, uh, 661 OPS, 86 OPS plus negative 0.6 war. So, kind of a fascinating career. I mean, just acquired 17 war by age 25. When you look down at some of the similarity scores, the most similar player by age 22 for Ellis Valentine is Mookie Betts. Uh, age 25, Matt Kemp. Age 26, Marcelo Zuna. But uh, obviously, you know, I mean, a lot of those guys, Matt Kemp certainly fell off too, but uh, just really interesting, uh, the the fast start and, you know, perhaps the uh, unfulfilled promise of his talent, uh, whether that was due to the injuries, whether that's due to the the meaning, uh, just causing a change in approach, struggles with drugs that he took for pain-killing purposes or partying purposes, struggles with other baseball injuries, it's hard to say. But uh, the career didn't quite reach the peaks that maybe some hoped, but still an impressive major league career for Ellis Valentine. And more interestingly, and even more impressive post-major league career, Adjusting to life after baseball, uh, Valentine resumed using drugs and alcohol, but in 1986 he entered rehab, he moved to Phoenix, Arizona, entered rehab in September of that year, and in 2016, as he noted in the interview I mentioned earlier in Montreal, he celebrated the 30th anniversary of sobriety, and it's not only something that he's celebrating for himself, he took a job, or, or he, I guess he was invited to speak uh, in Phoenix at a hospital to at-risk youth, and he enjoyed it so much, or he did so well that they offered him a position, and then we moved back to Los Angeles, uh, Valentine earned certificates in behavior health and chemical dependency counseling, and he and a partner founded the AV Light Foundation, which provides daily family counseling parenting classes, anger management, and drug and alcohol education in Lancaster, California. I always just remembered him as that cool guy who got to wear a football helmet when he batted when I was a kid and who had that unbelievable gun of an arm from right field when he played for the Mets. But apparently he's meant a lot more to a lot more people since his baseball career ended. And so for that, and not only because he donned our blue and orange. Ellis Valentine is truly unformidable. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Metro-related content. Follow Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this and all of our Amazing Pods wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. Please subscribe. Please leave us a review. It really helps us out. 
original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at Wolf, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and let's go 